This is Jane Wilcox, and you're listening to Shaklesiology, Girls Talk in Church. Tell your girls a story, I won't tell you a lie. Anything you want, you can do it just fine. Come on. We are here together. Besides myself, Shaklesiology is Kim Who, Jennifer Johnson, Chris Ann Swartley. We pick up where we left off in our last episode when we decided on which criteria or metrics we would use to evaluate how the church did in the midst of the pandemic. In today's episode, we evaluate the church's response using a letter grade according to that criteria. And then we look ahead on how the church can leverage the opportunities given as a result of lockdowns and shutdowns, reimagining how to do church effectively in a post-COVID world. Here we go. And thanks for listening. So, Shaklesiology, ladies, uh, we're going to get out our apple slicer and we're going to slice each one of these apples, each one of these metrics, and we're going to grade the church on how, how it did through the pandemic. So here are our metrics. Mago Day, preserving and, and observing the sacred dignity of every human being. Doing church or being church. Balance, the balance of individual needs and rights with uh, the common good or the community needs, what's good for all. Uh, the two commandments love God and love your neighbor or love others. And our last metric is humility, humility. So our first ones, Imago Day. Was it a good slice, an A plus? Was it mm, C, maybe a C minus? I, I would give us a D. And, and it's not only, not only how we responded to the the danger of the virus toward people, like um, not only in how, in how we responded, yeah, to the potential danger toward people dying of the virus, but even in disagreeing with each other. I think we did a very mm. poor job treating each other with dignity in disagreement, as well as probably um, protecting the vulnerable. Good point. Yeah, great point. And I'm going to grade myself on that one because I liked how you nuanced that, Chrisanne. Um, I think I did. I, th I feel like I did. I feel like I'm going to give myself an A plus for being mindful of every human being's right to, to not get sick. The grade I would give myself on um, how on how I disagreed with others, not that whether I disagreed or not, but how I disagreed, whether it was in person or on Facebook, I'm going to give myself C minus. I'm going to be dead honest. I don't deserve more than a C minus because I didn't, I didn't disagree well. I didn't disagree kindly is the word. That's, that is my confession. That's honest. Any other thoughts on Mago Day? How the church did? Chris, Chris, would you give the church D? A D. D. <laughs> I'm a hard grader, man. 
You know, there are no more D minuses, by the way. I, actually, I don't know if that's true, but at least the the um, the grading scales that I have to use. I used to get, I didn't get D minuses. <laughs> I don't know why I need to defend myself on that. But I don't remember D minuses being on the scale. And now there are none. It's D plus down to like 66 or something. And then it's a D. There's no D minuses. And then bam, you fail. So. I, I think I would like to give the church a generous C plus because I think I would like to hope that the way that people fiercely engaged about this was in some ways a good attempt at trying to do the right thing and trying to like convince other people to try to do a good thing even people that I agreed with and I agreed with how they wanted to handle engaging in that time of two years during the pandemic, I also don't think they were very kind. Even though I know their intentions were good, I don't think they were kind about it or the way they talked about other people who they disagreed with. But I know somewhere deep down it's because mm -hmm. they cared or, or maybe just simply because they were afraid. Um, but at least they said they, they tried to say something and, and there's a wisdom to that as well. But getting in the mess, I wanna give some credit, which is why I threw the plus in there that at least people said or did something. Was it the best or the kindest? Probably not, but at least it wasn't a complete, like let's completely just check out, let's get on an island or get a rocket ship and go to space and let it all burn. That's I a really you, good point, Kim. I give you an A plus, Kim, for your grace. That that's just lovely. <laughs> I mean, you really dug. You really dug to find the there's good in there somewhere. Which you know what? I ain't got time for that. I ain't got time. That's why I get when I give myself a C minus. Okay, after that, D plus, Jane. D plus. <laughs> a confidence boost. <laughs> You're lucky. There's still a D plus. <laughs> Soon they're going to get rid of the plus for D's. It's just going to be a straight D. <laughs> hmm. All right. Doing church or being church is our next next metric. How did the church do? I think this is one where there are probably A plus examples and there are F examples and the F examples to the points made earlier got more of the attention. I think there were probably a lot of people in their own context, in their own small congregation or in their own neighborhood who were, um, who were being the church, who were checking on their elderly neighbor, who were, um, you know, making sure that, that someone's child had, had what they needed. I think there were probably a lot of those examples that go under the radar and that we will never know those people's names or what they did. Um, and, and hopefully all of us did some things where we did it for the greater good or for the good of those in our, in our community because it was the right thing to do. Um, so I'll stick my neck out on this one and say maybe a C if you, if you combine those many small acts of kindness and grace mm -hmm. with some of the larger uh, failures, you know, that we've talked about. Um, because to circle around to the metric of humility, I think there's any way to know for sure um, how many of those small acts of kindness 
we don't know about. And I, I think there were probably a lot of people, not that they always did it perfectly, not that they always did everything that they could to as many people as they could, like, like we saw, said in Galatians, but I think there were people who were actively looking for ways to serve others. The other thing is I think, and this is, this is introducing a needlessly complicating variable to this, which I'm not suggesting that we chase. But you know, when you look at trauma research, there's usually a surge of altruism and positive community spirit at the beginning of a crisis. And the longer a crisis goes on, the more mm-hmm. that that fades. Um, you saw it after 9-11, you saw it uh, with COVID, where at first it was like, we were all going to hunker down and Broadway stars are putting on live shows on YouTube and, you know, puzzles are on sale and we're going to play kickball in the street, you know, and then you get to like month three or month 13 or month 23. And it's like, get out of my way and let me throw my mask at you while I stomp into this restaurant and cough on people. You know, it's like the, the, the humanity, the love of fellow man, like that, that withers away after a certain time. So I also think that um, there were probably more examples of this earlier on. Uh, But again, to be fair, we all are tired. And so there's my C is just, I think we did some of it. We didn't do some of it. We did more of it early on. We're struggling now, but I don't, I don't want to personally, I don't want to go lower than a C because I think there's a lot of people out there that really tried to help others. This is where I'm going to be a little less gracious. I'm willing to go down to the C minus. Um, because I think to Jen's point, seeing all of those moments of altruism were great. But what I see now after that, this really big two-year period is, is that momentum still there? And I think for a lot of places or a lot of churches, you would argue that that level of altruism should be there all the time. And so Mm -hmm. to me, I feel like the church reacted more like an emergency room rather than a general care physician that should regularly be implementing levels of care. And yes, I think the church stepped in um, because they saw the need was great. But we could also argue that the need was great for care before the pandemic as well. Obviously not at a global scale, but you would also argue that the church sees and regularly lives around things of global importance every day. And I don't think we have to go into a deep dive of poverty, sex trafficking, et cetera, et cetera. The list is unfortunately very long. And so I think to me, I see, yes, we want to give the church credit for doing things. But to me, the pandemic shows me that that system or that wave, that momentum of care might not have been there in a lot of churches Mm -hmm prior to the pandemic. Mm, right. So our third, third metric is balancing individual needs and rights with the common good and community needs. How do we think the church did there? I might have to go C minus for that one. It was interesting in one of the articles that we read in preparation for tonight, um, how proud were you of your church and how it responded to the pandemic? It was very much about what the church offered me during that mm. time. Uh, did it, yeah, did it continue to offer me what I wanted or not? Um, so I feel like that combined with a lot of 
what we observed on social media and in media in general, uh, you know, Christians saying, you know, it's our right, don't, you can't take away our right to gather. Um, yeah, even C minus might be generous. I think we fell down the individualism hole. <laughs> yeah, the right to gather. I guess the, is there an irony in there? You fight for your individual right to gather as a church versus preserving the common good. I'm going to give it a, uh, <laughs> we got some head shakes here. I'm going to give it a, Chris Ann, what was your, what was your grade? C minus might've been generous. Right. See, you people are trying to make me, make me generous and I don't want to be generous. Go for D it. Plus. Do it. Say it. D plus. Oh. <laughs> so our fourth metric is, uh, the two greatest commandments, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. How does the church do? And you love God if you're not loving your neighbor. One of my favorite quotes from Chris Ann, which has been a couple of years ago, it wasn't exactly like this, but it, it, there's parallel. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> this was a good one. A good Anabaptist. Say it. You cannot love Jesus if you do not love the church or do you not love people in the church? And it's the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is tightly linked to the metric right before, right? Individual rights, common good. So yeah, probably hovering right there around C minus D plus, I don't know. I think for me, I like to, I'm trying to be more, I'm trying to be a little gracious. I'm thinking because I know uh, a lot of people who, uh, I think were experiencing trauma. I think I'm just, I'm just thinking about uh, this class I just finished up reading this book by Kathleen O'Connor called Jeremiah Payne pain and promise and looking through the book of Jeremiah through a lens of trauma and how when a collective society goes through trauma together, even those who are the most devout of people will question whether or not God exists because so much has been ripped out from them. And even for those people who had places to stay and had levels of income, somewhere psychologically on an existential level there was like a trauma never before facing or thinking about death uh just thinking about my own context uh most of the people i interact with are between the ages of 18 and 34 where the idea of death to themselves or even in their families or their circles is something beyond their comprehension yet some of them have never experienced it or seen it up close before and so i think in that regard for I'm going to change the metric slightly uh, in the fight to love God or in the fight to hold on to God and to hold on to faith as a lifeline. I would like to give some people a generous B minus. Wow. Very generous. That's why I changed the metric Okay. for those who just yes. had to really hold on. I like want to acknowledge and like see those people. Yeah, I think because because yeah. for the church sometimes it's like you should know better, 
and this is also acknowledging I think even in this whole podcast that this is the me that has survived the two years and I wonder what you have you how I would have graded us two years prior in Mm. in the thick of it pre-vaccine full lockdown all that jazz and so I think now looking back I see that there was a fight uh, and I wanted to be generous that there were some people who were fighting mm-hmm. on just to hold on that God was real. And God was even, dare we say, good in the past two years. Mm. Mm-hmm. And again, it's probably important to acknowledge those people who had a real burden for those who were being affected by the shutdown and the lockdowns to a, a horrible degree and that they're, so their, their care and love for those people who were being so severely negatively affected by the restrictions led them to a place of anger toward the restrictions. Yeah. So maybe, maybe I should be more generous in migrating as well. Maybe love of neighbor looks different (laughs) depending where you're standing. I'm an F on this one, to be honest. Love God and love your other church members as yourself. No. Mm, love your spouse as yourself. No. Love your kids yourself. No. Your brothers and sisters, biological. No. So love your neighbor. <clears throat> And so we typically understand, and we, we talked about this in the first episode, who is our neighbor? And so I think about in a pandemic, your neighbor is going to be the one that is putting their life on the line for everyone else. Every healthcare worker, every teacher, Every clergy member, you know what, by the way, pastors are also heroes for the pandemic, regardless of how they responded, because they're the ones that showed up at the funerals of gatherings of way more than 25 people in the middle of the pandemic. And so if we simply cannot take one of the greatest commandments to love your neighbor as yourself, to mean all of those people and some of them died in the, in, in the, in the, in the call of showing up and putting your life on the line for other people, they showed up and they lost their lives. And the church still didn't do its part, which was simply to simply wear a mask or to get vaccinated. And I know it's problematic on on many levels, complicated. But if one of the greatest commandments is to love your neighbor as yourself, that means you are willing to get vaccinated, to dismiss or to, to discontinue believing in what you think is true in the face of many credible people that also have given their entire lives for this very moment of a pandemic to help guide us through it. 
But our first response, because of all the noise and the disinformation, is to throw people like that either under the bus or destroy their character. That is not loving your neighbor as yourself. And if you're not a Christian, if you have no obligation to that commandment or to the scriptures at all, I get it. I understand you make, you make choices and you behave in a certain way based on a different standard or ethic. Fine. But if you're a Christian, I do not know how you could not do those things. And as Jen noted earlier, and still love God. It makes no sense to me. F, fail, epic. Final answer. <laughs> For a million dollars. Mm. Yeah, facts. Preach Jane. Fear is a very powerful and primal emotion. Yes. And it will take otherwise rational people and make them completely irrational. And I think we saw and are seeing a lot of that. And that is part of our humanity. So it's not, I don't fault anyone for, well, let me, let me issue a caveat to that. I was going to say, I don't fault anyone for being afraid. Um, I don't, I don't think that to feel afraid is a sin. I don't think to be afraid of COVID or to be afraid of financial effects or to be afraid of losing someone that you love or to be afraid of any of the things that could have come out of COVID. That doesn't, that's not a problem. We were all afraid. The problem is that we allowed our collective fear to drive our decision-making instead of realizing that perfect love casts out fear and that we are called to be a people who are not led by fear and that we can choose a way that is not driven by fear. And that is where I would, that is my heartache in all of this is not that we were confronted with one of the biggest crises of any of our lifetimes and we weren't sure what was going to happen and it was scary, but that we didn't choose to use that as a moment to double down on the love and the grace and the peace of God. And instead we allowed that to drive us to hurt and damage others and to damage our witness for Jesus. That's, that's my sadness in this. Mm. Yes. A freaking men. We missed a huge opportunity, huge. And I don't mean that in a cavalier, um, business transaction kind of way, but I mean, this was the opportunity of a generation to show Jesus and we missed it. Yeah. Not all of us all the time. Right. But we missed it. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. We doubled. I like how you said that we doubled. We did. We missed the opportunity to double down on, did you say love? Love. Mm -hmm. Yep. Instead, we doubled down on I don't know if it fear, was fear. I fear, mean, self-interest, right? Anger. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we can call that fear. Um, but the doubling down, if that's going to help us move to our last metric, humility. It makes me think that, again, if we do not understand, yeah, we're all functioning out of fear. And I mean, that, that, that came to light as we move through the two years of a pan- pandemic. <clears throat> We were all, regardless of uh, whether it was fear of getting the virus or um, a, a fear of uh, the loss of the centrality of the church and society. I mean, there are lots of fears swirling around um, and the insistence 
and I'm, I remember I gave myself a C minus for um, not being kind uh, in my civil discourse or talking about it. Um, we didn't double down on humility. Well, certainty uh, makes us feel better when we're afraid. And mm. so if we can have the right answer, feel better about our position, feel better, feel superior to those around us, feel justified in our choices, then we don't have to deal with, um, Kim used the word existential, the existential fear and the, the facing of our own mortality in a way that we might not have before. We can kind of bluff our way out of it or we don't have to sit with those hard feelings if we can replace them. Anger is much, it's much more fun to be angry than sad. Um, and so we're going to go, we're going to go for the emotions that have more emo short-term emotional payoff. And anger is one of those. And fear and grief and lament are not short-term emotional payoff. Um, mm. And so we didn't, we didn't choose those. Yeah, I think going off of that, uh, recently I heard a pastor sharing about how outrage, talking about anger, outrage is very easy because the, the word itself tells us that I'm expressing all my rage outwardly. It is much easier to pin it, all of my rage, my anger on something else rather than to look in word, even to sit in those negative feelings, even to lament, right? At least that is a process that invites in God both at an individual and corporate level to lament. Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to think about a grade because I think uh, it's not fun to admit that we don't know. And you want to know. There is a security in knowing. I know when this will end. I know what to do. I know how to be safe. And it's hard to say those things. It's hard to admit those things individually, corporately, um, at the church level. I don't know if I can grade it. That's just my two cents. Yeah, I don't know if I have too much to add, but I mean, I saw a lack of humility across the board. Um, you know, pick anywhere on the spectrum of responses to the pandemic and yeah, just a general lack of humility. And I think you're both absolutely right. It was a, it was a fear response because to get angry about it and to be certain that I know the truth about it is a much more powerful position than being afraid. I feel like to give a grade on humility. <laughs> F. <laughs> is F. Freaking F. <laughs> well, I, I feel like to give a grade on humility is like one of the most non-humble things to do. <laughs> well, maybe we can wrap it up. Instead of grading this one, maybe we take it as, as a question of what are we, how are we going to, how are we going to grow in humility because of what we've mm. all experienced? Right. So I think, I mean, I think we're all saying it's not a good grade, but maybe a more constructive on this, on this metric, maybe a more constructive thing to do rather than grade it is to let it turn into the question for the next phase of the pandemic and the next uh, election cycle mm. and the next, um, a climate crisis or whatever it is like can we we've gone through this whole exercise now as a group and and hopefully our listeners have journeyed with us can we 
find a challenge out of this for what's next. Is there something that was lost in the wake of the pandemic, something that the church has lost uh, that we need to recover? Uh, or maybe uh, was there a place the church excelled? And at that, with that, we can, um, we can carry that mantle on. Uh, so as, as we were preparing for this episode, uh, I found an article. It was actually written by a Missio professor, uh, Dr. Lee. It's written in Christianity Today. He quotes David Bosch and says, it is normal for Christians to live in a situation of crisis. Let us also know that to encounter crisis is to encounter the possibility of truly being the church. And so, James, your question of what is the church lost? I think the church has lost that those rose-tinted glasses that say, hey, like, well, we're going to be okay and everything is fine and everything is like, in a worldly sense, on the up and up. It really isn't. And I think even talking to people in my own community saying, hey, this was a good wake-up call to know that um, the opportunity, although we, as Jen said, we maybe failed this opportunity, the opportunity to respond at this level may come again, will probably come again, as scary as that is to say, but the church is gonna get another opportunity. And so I think moving forward, I think the hope, um, Dr. Lee goes on to say in that article, and I'm, I'll just quote it, it says, our journey through the crisis of the pandemic could be an opportunity for the church to reset, pivot from old patterns, look afresh at the future, and wholly embrace the journey of becoming its true self for such a time as this. I don't think I can really say it any better. One of the things that we, I think we all noticed as, as restrictions waxed and waned and as we came to, you know, we had a vaccine and then we had a variant and then we had a booster and, you know, there's been all these transitions, but I feel like among, for many churches, it's always been about when can we have church in the building again? When can we get back to normal, quote unquote? When can we do things the normal way? Totally human, totally understandable. That's what people know. It's also what pays the bills. But what? But I was sad that nobody was asking the question, how can we come up with a completely different model because of what we've learned from this? Nobody's probably an overstatement. I'm sure there's a few pastors out there asking that question. Like how many weeks or how many months until we can go back to normal? Business and as usual. Yeah. Exactly. And nobody, few people were asking, should we go back to that? And I feel like that's, that is the powerful question to be asking in this moment. Uh, the church was already moving toward, I mean, churches were shutting down, churches were unable to pay their staff, churches were merging, churches were struggling. That The COVID just sped up some of the trends in every area of society that yes. we were already seeing. It just made them happen more quickly. Yep. We were already moving toward a model where fewer churches were going to have a full-time pastor and there were going to be more bivocational leaders. I think that's a, actually a really exciting thing. Um, but it's like, and again, this is human nature, but we're trying to cling to how can we get back to the way we used to do church instead of asking what opportunities this opens for us. And it comes back to the humility thing of maybe we don't have it all figured out. Um, and, and I just think it, it would be instructive to look at the ways some of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world are doing church. Um, and I say doing church advisedly because I'm the one who waste the distinction between that and being the church. But if we're going to do church, quote unquote, then let's, let's think a little bit more creatively and missionally about how to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the, um, 
one of the ways that the church excelled, and this didn't happen across the board, uh, but there was a significant number of very creative and innovative, innovative ways to continue to be the church uh, for those that, that chose to do that. Mm-hmm. Two examples come to mind. Uh, one, the negative, not what to do, and the positive, that was a great idea. In the town that we have uh, a, a mountain house, there's this cute little diner. There used to be a cute little diner uh, that Keith and I would go to. We'd go down for breakfast. Um, the, the front of it was like a lodge. Um, and one side was uh, a gun shop. The other side was this little diner and cafe area. Uh, and it's this beautiful property. It backed up against the river on the backside. And there was a, a grill out there on the front side. I'm telling this all to, to I'm telling you all of this because I think there was an opportunity missed. So the property backed up to the, the Lackawaxen River. It's a beautiful river. Uh, and the front side was this building long front porch that was all wooden, some rockers out there. Uh, and the sign went up on the door about halfway through the pandemic, closed because of Governor Wolf. And I thought to myself, you miss this incredible opportunity to be creative. You had this, I would have, I would have ran to that place to have breakfast on that old rickety front porch with these cute little tables or to go for lunch in the backside with this huge barbecue pit along the river where you can see eagles, bald eagles flying on the cliff, but they chose to not be creative. And, and, and there was a bit of a bitter root there as well. On the other hand, I, uh, I regularly meet with uh, a guy that does ministry in Western PA, and he was trying to figure out how to continue holding his Thursday night disciple group. He gets together with a handful of young men um, because he would have them over. He would cook dinner for them every Thursday nights, and then he'd do Bible study. And he was trying to figure out how am I going to do this? Um, And we talked it through and he ended up, he was meeting them in the parking lot of, it wasn't Taco Bell, but someplace that made tacos. And so they went through the drive-through, staying in their cars. And then they uh, just gathered in the parking lot while sitting in their cars, eating their tacos to continue their Thursday night study. I think that was brilliant. It was creative, innovative. And that's, that's, you know, there are plenty of those stories where the church really excelled in being creative in rethinking, how do we continue being the church, doing church without a building, without a sermon, without the worship team and the worship band with all the lights and the youth group and the Sunday schools and, 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 Mm -hmm. and, and as Jen just noted, I do believe that, that historically the church is at, and perhaps it is a historical moment. Maybe it is, we're in the, we're in the precipice of the church resurrecting in a very different shape and form. And uh, not that I would thank COVID for that or for anything, but it certainly um, has given us this great opportunity as, uh, as a church in the West that is in crisis and that is in decline. And we really need to rethink how we are doing church. I think to piggyback off of that idea of the creativity, it's not the creativity of 
your lead pastor. It wasn't the creativity necessarily of your staff. It was the individual people who make up the local church who got creative with their God-given creativity and resources and did something and still pulled people together, who still brought people together in prayer and looked at the word. All of those essentials still happened in the parking lot of whatever fast food establishment it was. And people did great things. And I think what I hope is that people realize is that we don't need a crisis Mm. to be creative and to do something and realize that, oh, I am equipped, I am gifted, and I am called to be a creative, God-loving, neighbor-loving church at all times. I think this is an opportunity to repent. I feel like certain segments of the American evangelical church fail to practice true repentance where you examine where you have fallen short and then you turn around, right? That's the literal definition of repentance is to turn around. Um, I feel like this is a wonderful opportunity for us to examine and repent and turn around and do it differently going forward. Um, I think that's going to be a hard one to put into practice (laughs) due to our lack of humility, perhaps. Uh, It's hard to name where we've fallen short. It's hard for Americans in general to name where we've fallen short. Um, And that holds true, I think, for the church as well. But what an opportunity to practice true repentance. Mm. Hey, thanks for being a part of our listening community at Shaklesiology. Catch our episode in April where Jen leads us through a conversation on structures for ministry training that are more collaborative and community-centered. We'll also touch on concepts of vocation, such as bivocational and co-vocational patterns that will define ministry for the future church. We would love to hear your ideas for future podcast topics. What do you think are the pressing issues facing the church today that women need to be talking about? You can send your topics to ideas at girlstalkingchurch.com. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.